Right. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> you were like welcome. just about to do the intro. Yep, yep. Same bit. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our final episode of WandaCast, our weekly recap of the WandaVision television show. I'm Justin. <laughs> How many people do you think are doing that? Wanda oh, my God. Oh, you so many. No, right so many. Yeah. Uh, this is Aaron. <laughs> and a lot of popular... Uh, yeah, yeah. So many popular podcasters, such as ourselves, they just start another limited series podcast yeah. and kind of just build out their network of successful podcasts. It just seems like so and, much work to have to do something like on schedule all the time. Whereas we, we pick movies that have been, you know, have been around for decades, you know, many years. So we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. And that seems to be nice. It is nice. Anyway, what'd you think of the finale of WandaVision? I didn't watch it yet. <laughs> you haven't watched no, it yet? we haven't watched it. Oh, uh, we've been busy. You know, bitch. again, I watch it with a wife. That's the problem. You, When you watch it with a significant other, you have to wait for them to be available to do it. So we have like movie night with the kids on Friday. So we're like exhausted after that. And then uh, I don't know, we were doing something last night too. So we just haven't gotten around to it. But I was thinking, I was thinking tonight, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get around to it. Yeah. Although I read your tweet I, though. I don't know. You have very... I, uh, it's hard I to tell really liked that mean. tweet. It was very layered. <laughs> yeah, it that's was why it's layered. Yeah, perfect. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I have very complex feelings about the show. Yeah. Um. And so, okay, I guess that's a short episode because Aaron hasn't watched yeah, the episode watched yet. yet. Um, you know so what? This let's is... let's just do another thing completely different tonight. Oh, okay. Can, can we talk about something else? Let's. Yeah, sure. Ah, off the top of my head. Uh, how about the Chinatown sequel, The Two Jakes? Have you ever seen that? I have seen that, but I actually came here today to talk about the other Chinatown sequel. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I'm here to talk about the hit film Superman. <laughs> starring Christopher Reeve yeah. and uh, Gene Hackman, okay. amongst others. I, th- the movie is it's almost a mirror of the original uh superman is about a the main character a hero in some people's minds um discovering a scheme by a rich man Mm. to buy up a bunch of desert land yeah and knowing that there's going to be water there and so he's going to make a bunch of money selling it to people when it's worth more i see so you think that noah cross uh john houston's character from chinatown is actually lex Luthor of all people well, Chinatown that's came first. Yeah, that's so true. So Lex Luthor is the Noah Cross. Now the question is, did Richard Donner come up with, uh, create the Lex Luthor that we now know who's obsessed with land? Or was that already in the comics pre-1979? I don't know that. I think the only place I've ever heard of the scheme to have California drop into, you know, let's yeah. not get too specific in the plot. But it's funny. And in the end, the good guy wins. And he stops the rich bad guy because the good guy stands for truth and justice and standing by your convictions. Superman, as I was watching Chinatown, Superman felt like a response to it. Because in Chinatown, we have the main character (laughs) not win, lose out to the big corrupt rich guy because that's just the way it is and nobody can stop it. Yeah. See, I I don't think they. So two years later, I don't think that Superman would have grabbed on. I don't think in any way the makers of Superman grabbed on to Chinatown, only because Superman's like a disaster movie. 
Even though I agree with you that California land grabs are similar in both movies, the idea that the San Andreas yeah. Fault would someday break open and part of California would fall into the ocean, that's total disaster movie conspiracy theory. You know what I mean? So they just ran with that. That has nothing to do with Chinatown. No, I really don't think that they would have thought of that. Hey, man, if I'm thinking of Superman during Chinatown, it was too, too close. I'm sure and it's the come up in my mind, too. But... The tones are so just yin and yang of each other. One is so bleak and one is so positive. And maybe you have to turn it cartoony for that positive to be believable. It's yeah. I, I don't know. But so no, I, I guess think, we could I just... I feel like the, the writers of Superman came up with that line that everybody always likes, that I always liked, was... Well, no, what maybe this is, maybe I'm thinking of what... Chinatown? No, no, no. Uh, what Kevin Spacey says in Superman Returns. Maybe he didn't say that in Superman. Maybe he only said it in Superman Returns. But he said, like, the thing about land is that they're not making any more of it. And I think they just ran with that line, you know, and that's why land was his big thing. If you own land, you own everything. Now, I think John Huston in Chinatown is has a similar way of thinking that. Anyway. I think so, too. It's an interesting yeah. comparison. Yeah, thanks. I, I figured we needed to start the show with that right. little known sequel we can go back to the official sequel though uh the two jakes the two which jakes at the time f- felt like such a stupid title <laughs> i yeah disliked it but after watching the movie great title yeah right it, make, it makes sense great well what yeah. did you did you even know about this movie before i brought it up to you i did not have any idea that the two jakes existed and I had never seen Chinatown. Yeah, this was my. It's, this is mostly uh, my way of getting you to watch Chinatown because everybody has like a movie or two <laughs> that everybody's seen, and it's bizarre when you say like, "Oh, I haven't seen that." People go, "Really? How have you not seen?" Really? That? And Chinatown was yours. I feel like for me at least, I've never seen Shawshank Redemption, and that's the one people always what? Like, How could you have not seen that? Right? Did you see the sequel, The Green Mile? I did see the sequel, The Green Mile. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so well, that was my way of getting to watch Chinatown. What did you think about Chinatown? I think it is a masterpiece. Nice. Yes. Um, Do you think it's it a masterpiece is... despite being told probably your whole life of movie going that it is a masterpiece and you really need to see it, which for a lot of people like myself back in the day really turns you off? I had no idea okay. about this movie, and I don't know why it's just never been on my radar. Like, it's a Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. which is good. I'm sorry. It's written by freaking Robert Town, an original yeah. screenplay. Yeah. God. I... <sighs> yeah, don't be sorry about the Polanski sc- thing. I mean, at least most of that came after. <laughs> it did. This and movie if you want to go into he... it, I'm well-versed in all of it. I'm a big I'm not well-versed. Fan. Yeah, I am. Only because I'm a big Chinatown fan. Uh, I have been for many, 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 many years. I re- recently wrote a book about it, a new book called uh, The Big Goodbye, uh, about the last years of classic Hollywood. And they use Chinatown uh, and the making of Chinatown to describe how it was really the end of an era for Hollywood with the w- Paramount and how they made movies. Uh, and it all changed really, really right after that. It wasn't just Jaws, but Jaws was obviously a big part of it, where they always say that that created the blockbuster, and then it was all about money. Yeah, um, yeah. 
But like Nicholson and Robert Town and Robert Evans, who's the producer who ran Paramount from like the late 60s to early 70s, and he had a huge string of hits. Um, it's just a very interesting time to be in Hollywood. That's why the book was so good. So anyways, it goes into all that. It goes into Plansky, how, he, how Robert Evans got Plansky to come to America to make Chinatown, and then how uh, everything really fell apart after, after the movie got made. I don't even know where to begin with a movie <laughs> like this. I have not seen enough of Jack Nicholson's work in his 70s. In the seventies, that's why he's my favorite actor of all time. Like my God, I have and yeah, I just watch it. Like I recommend. Uh, well, his first big, he did a lot of stuff in the sixties, but it was all like B movie type stuff. He worked with Roger Corman a lot. He was in some horror movies, you know, like Edgar Allan Poe remakes and stuff like that. Um, hmm. He wrote, but he wrote a lot. He wrote uh, a movie called The Trip, with which, which Peter Fonda was in. It was like a drug movie and motorcycles and thing, I believe. And then he wrote the Monkeys movie Head. Which is another Nicholson did? Yeah, Jack Nicholson. Because him and Bob Raffleson, who Raffleson and Bert Schneider created the monkeys in the sixties because they wanted to do a hard day's night version of their own, and that's how the monkeys came about. And then after a couple years of the monkeys show, he they kinda wanted to ruin it. They wanted to like destroy it almost. <laughs> So anyways, they made this movie called Head, which is really just like Nicholson and uh, the monkeys were all just sitting around high as fuck. And they just came up with this bizarre stream of consciousness, consciousness movie. Nicholson wrote the whole thing. And he's in the movie a little bit. You can see him pop up. And they made this movie and it was a complete failure. But it was the beginning of uh, that production company with Raffleson. And, and, uh, and, and Nicholson was able to make his first movie that he directed called uh, Drive, he said which I've also seen, and it's actually pretty good. Anyways, but that then that's how they got money to make Easy Rider. Uh, and then he had his kind of breakthrough role in there with um, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. You know, he was the... Great movie. Yeah, he's the lawyer, you know, that they run into. But So that was really the first time that everybody... And he'd been working in the industry for maybe like 15 years or whatever, like ever since like the late 50s. Yeah. And he actually, he came into the business with Robert Town. Um, who was also just a struggling writer. So it was really like 1970 on up where they both found success. Uh, so he was in, I recommend Easy Rider, of course. And then he was in Raffleson's second film, which was Five Easy Pieces, where he plays this pianist who is from this like famous musical family and he wants nothing to do with them. So he just leaves to go work on an oil well. But then he finds out his father's dying. So he has to go back and deal with all the family members who are all these high and types and stuff. And so that's really good. And then I think he may have, he did um, one called The Last Detail, which is like a war movie, or like a Navy movie kind of thing. Uh, and then uh, then I think he did Chinatown, but then he did the one like One Flew's Over the Cuckoo's Nest after that. Anyway, which I haven't seen either. I could go on and on about him. But yeah, something about Nicholson, man, really grabbed me when I saw, um, I think, Five Easy Pieces. And then I just kind of went from there. And I'd always loved Chinatown anyways. So yeah, I just like, if you ask me who my favorite actor is, I'm just like, boom, like Nicholson, for sure. Because in the 90s, after after Mars Attacks, he's one, two, three, four, five, six. He only made eight movies after 96. He's basically retired now. I mean, he's yeah. 80 or more. So he's pretty much, he's probably, he's probably done. But even in the 80s, he, you know, he was so committed in the 70s and he still did great work in the 80s, but he was kind of trading on the fact that he was really just charming and suave anyways, that if he just kind of took any role, he'd do well with it. So it's not like he made bad movies in the 80s, but he didn't really do anything they felt that challenged him the way he did in the 70s. But then Batman came along and that was something new for him. And then while he was working on Batman, he's doing pre-production for the two Jakes. 
which is a film he really um for like 10 years really wanted to get off the ground and it went through like two failures already i mean they the first time they were going to make it in like early 80s they were like literally the day of everybody was on set all the crew was there ready to shoot and it all fell apart because of money and various other things really it's very interesting yeah so it was like a passion project for him Um, yeah he seemed to be really invested in the character and it doesn't seem like he's really held on to a project the same way that he has with this one i feel like this was it i feel like he worked so hard on on the two jakes that it really exhausted him and he was like i'm not making another movie i can't direct and produce and, and be the everything for a movie ever again fun fact he actually had his nose sliced open that was real in the movie and he still has that scar to this day i don't think that's real nope not true at all (laughs) i'm just gonna be making up facts for this podcast Uh, well yeah we gotta start with chinatown of course i don't know how to go through this plot (laughs) it's so Um, i was thinking about it too like i think the best way is not to get too into the details but you know if we just kind of give it a this is basically what it's about and then we can break off from there things that are important to know while you're watching that film so i think what it's about is basically what are you gonna say sorry well real quick just because of the narrative structure style that they use in this movie Mm -hmm. and in the sequel where we are simply following the main character yeah and we only understand what he's understanding which i love um it's such an effective tool for making the audience believe one thing even though something else is true like you actually are following along in the deduction process with this guy and i know neonors do this but i don't know if anyone has done it like this um yeah that's a good point it's fun because this movie is completely open to interpretation and so this is i'm going to try to quickly summarize sorry yeah no go ahead i i appreciate if you do it i want to try to summarize what this movie was about um jake (laughs) is a private eye who is hired by a woman to spy on her husband but it just turns out that the woman wasn't actually his wife and it was a setup Mm -hmm. but that was the only thing i had to google when this movie was over is actually who set him up yeah um and the googling suggested it was john houston no across no across um but i didn't see that in the movie and they never really spell it out but it you just have to assume that it was well, I think it's more that Giddy's Jake Giddy's Jack Nicholson's character just gets involved by happenstance. No one's necessarily trying to set him up. They're just trying to use him as a patsy. Use him. Yes, yes sorry, exactly. is the right word. What they're trying to do yes. is to tarnish Hollis Mulray's reputation because, yeah, it gets very confusing. So setting, so getting a private investigator like Jake Giddy's to find dirt uh, to find that Hollis Mullery is quote unquote cheating on his wife would make it a it'd be in the papers and it would help to ruin Hollis Mulray's reputation. So it could have been any private investigator that got involved. It just happened to be Jake Giddies. Yeah, private investigator gets involved. He shows this guy uh, with a younger woman. Somehow it's in all the papers. So it's it in works. all the papers. Yeah. Yes, it worked. Yeah. I, it's so hard to talk about this without feeling like getting into the nitty gritty. <laughs> um, and so Jake is mad when he discovers the real wife comes in. Yeah. And just a great performance. Have Have we ever met? No? No, you're sure? 
then I'm not, I probably didn't hire you to spy on my husband then, did I? It's just so like, yeah, Faye Dunaway as Evelyn yeah. Mulray. Yeah, they knew that she, I think Jane Fonda was up for the role, but they were really pushing for Faye Dunaway as well. So anyways, but yeah, she was, she was getting it. So she's the real Evelyn Mulray. Yes. And she's angry that and she's very you know, upset. Yeah. That someone went out of their way to uh, show her husband having some sort of affair. And now it's in the papers and it looks bad. So that's when Jake learns he's been used and he doesn't like and that. He doesn't like being used. Yeah. And that's really the whole point of this movie is this yeah. guy is upset that he got used and he's trying to figure out who used him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't necessarily care or have a personal interest in any of these characters. Right. He just kind of does it for his own reason. What are your thoughts on JJ Gates? Gates. Gates. Giddies. Well, that's the funny Giddies. thing is that everybody calls him, they mispronounce his name all the time. It's Giddies, but they call him Gits. And then, you know, Noah Cross, John Houston's character, always does it. You can tell, just be a dick. <laughs> like, he just calls him Gits all the time. Mr. Gits. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. So you think, so you were asking, what do I think about him? Yes. Well, you know what? It's nice to have a lead character that actually is responsible for the movie happening and not just reacting to everything. It's, it's just refreshing. his desire. Like he, he specializes in marital infidelity. That's his bread and butter, um, which a lot of people frown down, frown on, you know, because they think he's an ambulance chaser, you know, like a, like the way they talk about lawyers, like they just feel like he's just somebody out, uh, doesn't care who he destroys. That's how he makes his living, that kind of thing. But he um, and maybe that's true, but that's his job and that's what he takes pride in. And he's not going to let anybody, you know, use him or whatever. So, yeah, it's he's the one that gets involved and through his efforts to try to prove himself innocent you know beyond doing his job he uncovers these huge things that are going on so i like it yeah <laughs> that's what yeah, i'm trying like, to say i mean he's a real son of a bitch but he's a really likable son of a yeah. bitch he's principled he has a line that he doesn't cross even though that line is pretty low there's only a few things he won't do to get the job done well and you even see and, it a little bit in the sequel where he you know they they tell him like oh well you need to turn in the evidence or whatever and he's just like I have a duty to my clients I don't do that that's unethical I mean he'll break yeah. into some place he'll trespass he'll do he'll go through people's drawers he'll do what he needs to do but there's he still will sleep yeah, with the clients does, right he does yeah exactly he does have this line he won't cross because that's just the way he is it's the way he's built and so was he a cop like I feel like he I was believe a cop. he was because Faye asks him, Evelyn asks him later if he wore a uniform, and he said yes, and she's like, "I bet you look cute in a uniform," you know. She's well. He says that he worked at the DZ, DA's worked for like he the worked DA. for the DA, but the DA works for the government, so I'm sure that there are cops that work exclusively for the DA. That's and my understanding. What Faye Dunaway said was that I bet you looked good in blue. Oh really? Oh, okay. And. So that's that's where I was but like, wouldn't okay, you he consider was... that's a uniform? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it feels like he's a cop that was thrown off the force for something that went down in Chinatown that yeah. they never discussed. I don't know if he was thrown off though. I feel like he just maybe finally got out. He could have just quit as well. Because yeah. yeah, he is definitely on good terms with the cops, even though yeah. they give them a lot of shit. Right. That's where the name of the movie comes from. Something happened in his past in Chinatown. He was pr- trying, to, trying to protect somebody. And through his efforts, they actually ended up getting this person hurt. It's almost like his story with Faye Dunaway is trying to do it again and only 
but just be successful this time. Yeah, and or he doesn't realize has... that he's heading for the same kind of tragedy unwittingly. Like he's stuck in some yes. loop, some some time loop where he has to go through it over and over and over again. I actually never got to s- watch the end of the movie. I ran out of time, but I did go <laughs> ahead and read the ending of uh, Robert Evans or Robert Towns' script. So I know it ends well. Oh, I know yeah, that okay. they have live happily ever after, yep. and that Noah Cross dies. He's Is shot and killed by. Another one of your by... bad jokes. <laughs> uh, because Polanski rewrote the ending on the night yeah. before shooting. Yeah, I mean, I guess he re- so, rewrote a lot of it, from what I've read. Town wrote this three hundred page epic, uh, like because he grew up in L.A. and he had found out about its sordid history. This uh, this place called the um, Owens Valley is what it's loosely based on, right? Where the city founders basically, or whoever, you know, businessmen stole the water from this one place in order to build up LA and left them for dead, basically. So he just wanted to write a story about, you know, when these these people do this, uh, they never find, they never get their comeuppance. They always just become legends and city founders and they get buildings and roads and university is named after them, and yet yeah, they because did it's Mulholland screwed everybody. What's that? Mulray was based on the a real yeah, exactly. Mulray was Mulholland. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I know the name Mulholland is because of the famous L.A. Road Mulholland, Mulholland Drive. Drive. Exactly, the Lynch yeah. film. Yeah, totally. And there was debate on how closely he adapted right. that, but he sure winked at it in the sequel when yeah. he has the road named after Mulray. Yeah, I noticed that and too. It, Mulray Drive. Like, right. uh-huh. it was... So that was just his way of telling the story. And, uh, you know, I think through rewrites and rewrites and working with Robert Evans, like, we got to get the movie down. It's too long. It's too long. And then they finally bring Plansky in, and Plansky loved it, but he wanted to change everything. So he and Town worked on it together for a while, but they just, could, they just couldn't stand each other. They couldn't work on it any longer. So Plansky, you know, I mean, Town had sold the script to Paramount, you know, basically. I could be wrong about the details, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is correct. So he didn't really have any say in it, and he just kind of let Polanski do his thing after a while. So, I mean, I think the heart of the script is still town, and he was the, he was the one that he won the only Oscar for the movie, even though it was nominated like 11 times. But rightly so. It's his story. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Polanski, I think the two big things is that there was no scene that actually took place in Chinatown. That was number one. And number two is that it had a happy ending. And those are two things Polanski wanted to change. He's like, we got to have a scene in Chinatown. And Town was like, well, it's more of a state of mind. It's that thing that happened to him in the past. So I don't want to go back to Chinatown. And he's like, no, we got to go back to Chinatown. And I don't want it to have a happy ending. I want them to get away with it, basically, the bad guys. Anyway, so Giddies finds out that he's been used. And he makes it his business to figure out who used him. So he tries to get to Evelyn Mulray about it, the real one. And uh, she wants to drop the, you know, she was angry that, you know, at first and took her lawyer and she was going to sue him for saying that she hired him and that he found all the stuff out about her husband, even though she never asked him to. But then she just as quickly drops the lawsuit and says, let's forget about the whole thing. And that pisses Giddy's off, too. He's like, well, why do you want to drop it? I don't want you to drop it. I want to find out who set us up because maybe they're using you, too. All right. So this is where Jack goes to find Mulray himself that he sneaks his way into a was it dam station anyway Something a place like where that, they keep yeah. and mulray is the uh chief of 
water and power. Yes. For the city just of LA, like, by the way. Yeah. And just to be clear, uh, Mulray being uh, based on Mulholland, Mulholland was an actual bad guy. Oh, okay. And he abused his power, and yeah. he actually got that dam built that Mulray doesn't want built at the beginning. Right. Because yeah. he had one bill in the past that didn't go well yep and it just like in real life there's a famous dam breaking that Mulholland built and he didn't have any issues with building a new one yeah he killed um, like 500 people or something yeah only like yeah. 60 kids Jesus. it was fine he goes to this reservoir and he finds Mulray's already dead yep. he was drowned or hung or hung and drowned, drowned. Just drowned. Didn't he have a noose around his neck? No, they were just pulling him up uh, with oh, a rope. That's why. In a but really it was around rude his way. <laughs> no, it wasn't around his neck. It was just around his. It was around his chest. Under his you arms. got the body. <laughs> but that is, I. You know what? When I think I first saw the movie, I think I thought the same thing. Like somebody tied him up and left him to drown there, whatever you know. And I was like, no, that's just how the cops are yanking him out of the, out of the place. Yeah. So yeah, um, Mul- Mulray's dead. Mulray's dead, and Jake breaks in here very illegally and the first thing he does is he immediately chats with the cops like yeah whatever i'm here and the cops don't care that he's there showing that he has a good relationship with them escobar uh, is the police officer or the lieutenant yes. escobar that he used Lou. to work with in chinatown that's how he knows him lou escobar in the meantime jake gets a call from ida sessions who is the re the imposter from the beginning yeah, Evelyn Mulray, pretender. She tells him to look at the obituaries to figure out who hired her. He looks at the obituaries and he finds a name. We kind of let that go for a while. Well, he doesn't really but, know what it means. That's why. Yeah, like we I are think we're getting just, into the weeds a little bit. Um, we are very in the weeds. It's a very complicated film, but at the same time, it does all make sense if you give it a couple watches. <laughs> but yes, really, there's not it, a lot you need to understand. Like uh, a lot of these details, like Ida Sessions and all that, you really don't need to necessarily know. In order to enjoy the film, you know, it's just nice icing on the cake when you rewatch it a couple times and then I finally put it all together. That's kind of how I felt about the two Jakes, too. I finally gave it a couple watches and I was like, oh, everything does make sense. That's let's try to summarize this. You explained to me what you think actually happened. And I will tell you if I'm on the same page as you. Okay. well, Chinatown is basically about Noah Cross who used to be partners with Hollis Mulray in the water department, they basically built the city. Everybody talks about them building the city, you know, because L.A. is a desert, so you needed to bring water there, and they were big uh, in in the process of getting water to the city and making it what it is today. Noah Cross has Hollis Mulray killed because Mulray is standing in his way of building this dam that would basically um, dry out the surrounding counties of LA and then they're able to once they dry all those out and kill everybody's crops they're able to snatch all that land up cheaply and then they can once they own it they'll re-water it if you will they'll they'll be able to get the water back to it and then annex that into the city to make the city even larger larger become millionaires billionaires whatever that's basically the idea is that they want to get rid of these farmers so they can buy the land cheap and then make money off of it. So that's the big thing that Giddy's finally discovers in this whole deal. And why Mulray was kind of standing in and Noah Cross's way. And that's why he was killed. While this is going on, he's getting to know Evelyn Mulray, who's the daughter 
of Noah Cross and the husband and the wife of Havis Mulray. It, it, at first, it leads him to believe that she had something to do with Mulray's death because he was apparently seeing this young girl. But what it turns out to be is that Evelyn's just trying to hide the fact that her that this young girl is actually her daughter slash sister because her <laughs> father Noah Cross and Jack Nicholson asks Faye Dunaway if he raped her and she doesn't necessarily say yes it was a very bizarre like it was almost consensual or whatever but she was only like 15 at the time or something it was a little disturbing yeah that's the way I took that yeah. yeah so she had this daughter that she didn't want to see so the daughter was kept away from her but Hollis knew about all this somehow and he took care of the daughter so that's why he was seen with her often but once hollis died she wants to be in in, the, in her daughter's life now and the number one goal is to keep her daughter Catherine mulray away from noah cross away from her father who who feels like it's the only daughter he has left you don't think faye dunaway knew where her daughter was or had anything to do with her until then I think she knew as much as she wanted to know, but she made it clear that she didn't want anything to do with the daughter, but now she wants to be in her life. When that exactly occurred, she doesn't say, but Hollis was the caretaker of the daughter. That's why he was always with her. That's why he was spending time with her. Why wasn't she just with her dad? Because her dad wants this child. Yeah. It's just something about him being evil. You know, he's just an evil person. And they don't want, and Hollis doesn't want his wife's daughter that was born from incest from her father to be with Noah Cross. So there may have been more to killing Hollis Mulray than just him standing in the way. He may have represented standing in his way from the water idea and from keeping the daughter away from him. It gets complicated. So anyway, to sum up, the big thing about Chinatown is that it's a giant scam to grab land to annex into LA by Noah Cross but at the same time he wants his daughter back who his other daughter Evelyn gave birth to but she's trying to keep him away from she's trying to keep her daughter away from him that's pretty much like the two things that are going on that Jake Giddies kind of discovers bit by bit as the movie continues and he rightfully so wants to help Evelyn, protect her daughter from Noah Cross. That's the only thing he can do. He's powerless to stop uh, Noah Cross. He's po- everybody has always historically been powerless to stop these powerful men that do horrible things and then become the city founders and have names and buildings and stadiums named after them. That's the idea. You can't fight that. But what he can do is help Evelyn protect her daughter. And he, I mean, he does have it bad for Evelyn as well. Yeah, and they um, start up a relationship too. I have a feeling, and I need to watch more movies before now, but it feels like a lot of tropes began with this movie, or do you think they were common noir tropes? That I think a lot of them were common noir tropes, yeah, that this movie actually did the best. And I think that's also why they brought it's in like, John Houston, because Houston was famous for making those tropes. I don't know if he made them necessarily, but he directed, you know, he directed the Maltese Falcon. He directed, um, what was the other one after that? The other big one, another noir one. Anyways, but he was famous for being the guy in the 40s that made the noir films, you know? So I think that's why they liked to bring John Houston on. Yeah, he was great, too. Because they were like, it was like their homage. Chinatown is an homage to the noir films of the 40s. But at the same time, I feel like it perfected every one of those films. It- Everything about this movie is damn near perfect. I mean, the style, the design, everybody, yeah. 
And it's a style of writing and pacing that is gone from movies where you can imprint, like, there's so much, you're capturing a little sliver of moment of somebody's life. And when that feels real and organic, where you look at a character and you're like, Jesus, this guy's got a history. And you watch him for live a couple days in his life. You get invested and it's great. This movie made me think about Blade Runner a lot. Just how you can so much of it is open to interpretation and you don't know their motivations and it's just great filmmaking so the connection to chinatown is that you know something happened in his past in chinatown and he makes that point of saying if you're a cop in chinatown you do as little as possible because you never know if what you're doing is actually helping the situation or making it worse and that is what hangs over the whole movie so her butler happens to be from chinatown uh, Evelyn Mulray. So when everything's coming together and he's feeling like Noah Cross is going to finally find out where Catherine, her daughter is, and the cops are after him and after her because they think that she had something to do with killing her husband, Alice Mulray. He's like, go to Khan, uh, James Hong, her butler's house. Where is it? Go stay there. They won't find you there. Just happens to be in Chinatown. It's that classic setup where the genius detective has this plan where he's going to wrap everything together all neatly and he's going to beat the bad guys, get the girl, solve the mystery all in this five minutes. That's really impactful and enjoyable for moviegoers. Uh, A great example of nowadays is knives out. Um, They do that ending and that's what you're expecting when you watch this movie. And what you get is, (laughs) just chaos um i don't know if everybody such a plan though you know that's what that's the one thing that occurred to me at the end is that i don't know if he has a plan beyond he 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 realizes that noah cross is the one who killed hollis mulray which kicked this whole thing off um and hired him to be to use him to find dirt on him on hollis mulray you know but i don't know what his plan was beyond telling him i know because immediately from there he takes get his hostage basically and says, take me, to the do- take me to my daughter. That's so funny because, yes, they've done all the setting up of, I'm going to lay this plan and it's going to hatch. And then he immediately goes to the bad guy with no evidence, no cops, no recording devices. He had, he had the glasses as evidence. So he did have the evidence and then they take the evidence from him. Well, exactly. Like he didn't have anybody. What do you... You all are yelling he didn't have any in the backup, audience. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, he, he didn't have Escobar there. He should have had Escobar there. Yeah, and you're waiting for the cops to pop out and for him to solve this thing. And then he doesn't. He, And then your mind keeps going and you think, okay, he's just baiting him. He's getting him to take him to Chinatown so that the cops can see that this guy's got him by gunpoint and that he's a crook. Right. And honestly, that would be a plan. And because you'll never hear me talk bad about the movie. So I'm not saying that that's a writing problem. (laughs) Uh, you know, you got to put yourself in the mindset of the 1930s. And that's, I think, where... And that's also what I didn't understand about the two Jakes the first time I saw it years ago. I didn't put myself in the mindset of the 1940s when that movie takes place. You got to put yourself in the mindset of the 1930s. I think you could go up to somebody who had just murdered somebody without a gun. You know, you didn't need to threaten their life in order to take them to jail. You could just tell them, I, I'm on to you, and that would be it. You know, they wouldn't fight back. They wouldn't shoot you or whatever. I think that's what the 1930s were more like. Now, 
everybody's fucking dangerous and you gotta have you know SWAT team and and try to take down one person you know what I mean like that's what you gotta do because they could always get violent maybe maybe <laughs> that's just me so they so my point is that when they he takes me to Chinatown where he feels the cops will be they're gonna see this whole thing and they're gonna arrest Noah Cross um, nobody's gonna have any guns I think that's where what's in his mind but Evelyn brings a gun everything just goes wrong those yeah. Jake gets out of the car Evelyn just happens to be walking out yeah. because she's ready to leave without Jake. Yep. And then the cops arrest Jake and then Noah just strolls up and he starts trying to take his daughter, granddaughter. And Evelyn he, and freaks Jake's out. trying to tell the cops like, this is Noah Cross. He's responsible, but he's like this known figure. The cops aren't going to fuck with him. Yeah, it's crazy how this all plays out. Like yeah. Jake's full of this idealism that things are going to work and right is going to work yeah because truth and justice works yay superman but he betrays his own (laughs) motto in that when you're in chinatown you should try to do as little as possible because when you think you're helping you're actually hurting and that's what happens yeah evelyn freaks out shoots no across in the arm drives away with her daughter and the cops just start firing wildly at evelyn because the cops at this point think evelyn murdered her husband yes and because they don't have any better idea and yeah so they're shooting at her car and the cop hits her her daughter we gets get... the witness her mother dead shot yeah. back of the head graphic hole in the eye scene yeah. that's scarring for everybody and so there's Jake Catherine Mulray, the daughter, screaming. Yep. So who comes to whisk her away? Noah Cross. The bad guy wins. Yeah. And the cops let Jake go. They say, I'm and doing his you two a favor. partners Just get out of here. Because the cops have an idea that maybe something's a little off, but they're just like, get out of here. Just go. It's it's a, yeah it's an, it's another part of it about like the cops know you're right like they know something's off they know there's a bigger story here Escobar knows there's a bigger story here he's not an idiot but with her dead it's all wrapped up so he says you know take him home Jake you know get Jake out of here I'm doing you a favor and his partner says I don't remember something about um <laughs> like they need to go oh this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. No, no beautiful friendship no. sorry i blew one. it it's a different one forget it jake it's chinatown one of the most famous lines of all time which it really hit home i've yeah. heard it's chinatown and it it was yeah really so that good. was your first time actually hearing it after yeah. uh, a whole lifetime of pop culture jokes about it it worked yeah it was great it worked yeah. and Wal- walsh was his partner they got to say it while she pops up in the sequel yeah, yeah he does Isn't that like nice? so here's another thing uh you know duffy his other partner you know who he is yeah yeah no he's crispin glover's father <laughs> really they actually look alike yeah if you watch the movie again you they look alike oh yeah bruce glover <laughs> yeah he's been in other films but that's the only one i really know him from is that he was in chinatown there's a couple other uh thing you know just small scenes like one that always stands out to me is um when he's in the barber shop and he's getting the shave 
guy in the chair next to him sees it in the newspaper and he's just like you know it's one of the it's it, it's a brilliant scene just to show what people think about the fact that jake does this for a living yeah and they start you know and he's yo you work for more you work for a bank you know you, how many people you you know close a mortgage on today or he's like well if i did any of that i wouldn't put it in the paper you know and they almost get in this fight and the whole time the barber's trying to tell him this joke to calm him down right and he's not even listening to the joke he's so angry <laughs> cut to the next scene where he's so fucking happy because he wants to tell this joke to his two partners or whatever. It's so ridiculous. I just I'm like, when I saw that, I just thought it was amazing. Like, I don't, just the Polanski's mind where that would go together like that is just phenomenal. It was just one of the best scenes. It's It adds that complicated layer to who this guy is. Like, he's very lowbrow. He's yeah. a lowbrow guy trying to be a respectable person right yeah it's an interesting mix of everybody and like you know him telling the joke even though they're trying to stop him because evelyn mulray is right behind it you know i mean like that it doesn't stand up to scrutiny like anybody would turn around and realize you're looking at somebody behind you but it's it's funny so they go with it uh what else you know when polanski's the guy that cuts his nose up you know yeah uh, they said oh. that, you know, Polanski's such a crazy filmmaker that they basic that's what you're seeing is like the first take. But he did 10 takes of that. And Nicholson was just like, you fucking, he always called him a Polak. He was like, you fucking Polak. You're going <laughs> to slice my nose open. He's like, no, no, no. I need, I need to do it again. We have to do it again. You know, blah, blah, blah. He did it like 10 times, you know, and it worked the first time. He's like, motherfucker, you know. There's so many amazing stories about Nicholson and uh, Polanski. So at the end of the movie, the bad guy wins, but yeah. also Jake, whose entire goal for the movie was to figure out who used him, got paid by the fake wife, got paid by the wife, got paid by... You know he took Noah Cross's money. Got paid he by him. Have. I don't really know. It's hard to say. So he got paid like four different times because yeah. I think Noah Cross's bonus was, what, 5000 yeah. in the 30s that's he may have taken it like in theory I, but i know for when a fact did he exactly collect that that's i know for saying. a fact that he took all that money <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> because know about that. you could see this as laying the foundation for his successful business 11 years later is it 11 years yeah it's supposed to be 11 yeah one other thing that was changed by polanski is uh this film had heavy narration that yeah. Polanski didn't like, so that was cut. So we get the two Jakes later, which is a re- reunion of Robert Evans, Robert Town, and Jack Nicholson. Formed yep. a production company to make this movie, and Robert Town goes and writes the sequel and has another movie in mind. And it's supposed to be a trilogy. Yes. The last one would have been, what, Gates versus Gates? Gettys? I'm going to say it wrong every time. Versus Giddies. Giddies. Versus However, there's another thing I read that it might have been called Cloverleaf, which was based on the, the freeway Cloverleafs. We talked about this before. The, the rumor is that that story became Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You remember Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because it was all about trying to uh, steal ta- uh, Toontown away from the Toons once Acme died, but he left the city. He left Toontown to the Toons, but so there was a will that everybody was trying to find, and Roger Rabbit was basically set up for a murder of Acme. Yeah, and then it turns out that Christopher Lloyd's character owns this place called Cloverleaf uh, that's trying to build a freeway through Toontown because it's the way of the future. It's very—I mean, if it wasn't, see, I believe it to be 
uh, a reworking of Robert Towns' idea for the third Chinatown movie. But it could have also just been an homage to what they had heard the third Chinatown movie was going to be, and then just an homage to Chinatown, Chinatown in general. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I actually just bought it. I found it for five bucks. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, so once you watch, watch the two Chinatown films, watch that one. There you go. There's your third film. <laughs> Bob Hoskins is basically Jake Giddies in that film. That's awesome. Yeah. So many connections. And and the two Jakes even had a, uh, a difficult development hell period where they were trying to get it off the ground in the early 80s that completely fell through is mostly because robert evans jack and robert town thought that robert evans should play the second jake which was finally played by harvey Keitel, but he was a horrible fucking actor <laughs> he was in some movies in like the 60s and 50s uh like he played um ernest hemingway and the sun also rises he was famously in that one like he got discovered coming out of a pool and some wife of somebody famous who was getting a biopic about him was like you should play my husband you look just like him when he was a young man and that's literally how he became he got in the business he was literally getting out of a pool and he was a good looking dude with a great suntan so he played in a couple roles but it was never really his thing and that's why he went into the of actually working in the business and that's how he became the head of paramount which he was much better at anyway so they wanted him to play the second jake jake berman and robert town i thought thought it was a good idea and still they started working with him on the character and realized, oh my God, he's a horrible actor. <laughs> but then Robert Evans was like taken aback by it. He didn't want to say, I won't do it, even though he knew that was the right thing to do. So the whole production just fell apart pretty much over that. Um, and then there was a second try in the middle eighties that they were trying to get it going where actually Harrison Ford would have played Jake Giddies with Robert and, Town still directing. And he would have directed the first one that fell through as well. And I'm glad that didn't work. They were so yeah, willing to just weird? replace yeah actors so then once robert town uh i believe sold the script is what finally happened in the late 80s and jack had it and was like i'm gonna direct it i'm gonna make this film and robert was still working with him on it but he wasn't really there for him and i think that's what ruined their friendship is that jack felt very hurt by the fact that robert was like late on getting him scenes like he only had written 80 percent of the movie basically yeah like all three of these guys basically haven't spoken since this movie was made and And robert evans like you know he was so powerful and did so many great and really ushered in the the golden age of paramount pictures in the early 70s only to like completely fall to like cocaine and alcohol abuse and depression and just all kinds of things like he had such a roller coaster of life and jack really always stuck by him but yeah he he was just out of the business pretty much after this film this was the first movie he produced chinatown was yeah yeah marathon man black sunday players popeye the two did you ever see marathon man no i haven't really good he did jade yeah that was like his 90s one and he did like the out of towners. Am I, am the I Phantom, wrong? About that? Was... The Saint, the Out oh, of Towners. The Phantom, that's right. So just total failures. <laughs> I mean, I like the Saint and I like the Phantom, but they didn't do they didn't do box office. Not at all. And I, I liked them both as well. And then his final film that he produced was How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Yeah, not funny. So this picks up eleven years after Chinatown. But really it I guess they just didn't change the script, but I feel like they could have made it fifteen years because Jack is definitely 15 years older than when he was in Chinatown. I don't know if that was just having it too far out from the war, because that's the big in the middle of these two movies fact that uh, World War II happened in the meantime. Yeah, right. And Jake, this guy who really looks out for himself but wants to be respectable, follows those feelings and joins the military and is a Everybody war serves. hero. 
That's what yeah. happens. You got a Navy Cross. That's insane to think yeah. about this character going through that change. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It has to be. It's 1948 now, so it, it can't be too far after World War II. That's the idea is that he comes back from war has a successful investigation company now, the LA has changed. It's now about building homes and subdivisions. It's become a subdivision community for all those returning GIs that now want to start families and where the baby boomer craze came in. So that's what this movie, that's the setting. So if you think about it, World War II starts in earnest in the end of 41, the beginning of 42. Mm-hmm. So we've got Jake operating for about three years is potentially at war for all of World War II. So he's potentially only home for a couple of years after that. Like, he hasn't really been around. So he hasn't had a lot of cases, and so that case from Chinatown has really stuck with him. And he's thought about it a lot. And he gets wrapped up in another mystery. Much in the same way as the first movie, uh, he is working with a husband who thinks his wife is cheating on him. And they plant a sting at a hotel. The husband is Harvey Keitel. And this sting goes terribly wrong where Harvey Keitel discovers his wife sleeping with a man. And in the heat of the moment, Harvey Keitel shoots the man down. And I love how the marital um, cases have changed from the 1930s to the 1940s apparently and i i read up on this because it just it's it's another thing of like where you watch the movie nowadays and you're just like was that really how it was so you like got to put yourself in that mindset and that you would hire a lawyer and it would be a sting it would be literally they would be in the next room their rehearsed husband or wife or whoever would come in and say details about i can't believe i found you here in this place at this time with this person and then the uh, the investigator would come in and start taking photos. So you would have evidence to show in court of your spouse being unfaithful. Like that was literally a business. Yeah. So that's how it goes. But it goes horribly wrong in that there's a gun. And Harvey Keitel, Jake Berman, the second Jake, ends up killing the guy that his wife is sleeping with. That they didn't expect. We could easily get in the weeds again with the plot of this movie. big time. (laughs) So let me try to just cut to the chase, and then we could talk about scenes. Give me the cut to the chase, like I did with Chinatown and Noah Cross and the daughter. Like, what is this movie about? This is Jake getting used again. It is Harvey Keitel doesn't like his partner. They own land that Harvey Keitel's wife has given them and um, just to cut to the chase harvey Keitel's wife is Catherine mulray from the first movie the sister daughter all grown up yeah and yep. she's married to harvey Keitel. she gave him some land in the valley that her father used to yeah become I rich. Mean, I, I, he apparently died and it's all hers now right i mean she was the only surviving heir so it would have just been hers and so she basically just hooked up with this young guy that she loved and he knew some gangsters and they he used all those connections to get this land and to get this property built uh, the pro- the property being subdivisions for all the returning gis from world war ii who want to start families they're anticipating a home boom after the war mm-hmm. and they're building out uh subdivisions yeah and this is what i believe ends up being san fernando valley in real life 
I think so, yeah. But his partner is scheming, and he realizes that there's oil underground, and he wants the rights to himself. And so Harvey Keitel discovers he's dying, and he's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm getting rid of this guy. So he shoots his partner, who he let his wife fall in love with, or was the See wife... That? I'm a little confused about that, uh, but I believe that she actually fell in love with him. I don't know if she fell in love with him, but I think she was... Because Jake Berman, Harvey Keitel's character, was sick, uh, prostate cancer is what I believe it is, he hasn't been very attentive to his wife, and he hasn't been performing in bed at all. So the way he explains it at the end is that he thought that I wasn't that she, he thinks his wife thought that he wasn't interested anymore. So she was finding it elsewhere and she just happened to fall into the arms of his partner. So I think it actually was a genuine relationship. Yes. Because she, I think, genuinely didn't know that Harvey Keitel was planning on killing him. It no. seemed like, yeah, she was in the dark about that. Yeah, she was totally in the dark, but he's doing it to protect her. Because of who she really is. Yes. Because they all call her Kitty Berman. And that's the thing. When you first see her, I couldn't remember who she was when I watched the movie again. But I immediately was thinking, like, well, she's very Faye Dunaway. If that's not Catherine Mulray, then she's supposed to be like her for some reason in this film. So then it wasn't exactly a surprise when it was a twist that actually was her. So the whole reason that this happens is Harvey Keitel is trying to make sure that his wife has all the money that she needs after he's dead. And he wants to make sure his business partner doesn't steal it away from her. Because he was also protecting who she really was. Because there's something about her being Catherine Mulray because she was born out of incest to no cross. She wants to disappear that person. She doesn't want the papers to know. And if people found out where she was and who she was, it would be a story. Everybody kind of knows, like, everybody, it's not confirmed, but the cops gossip to Jake about him being paid to cover up the incest. Um, yeah, right, 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 right. The cops are less nice to Jake in this movie. Um, yeah. So it's about, yeah, so it's about protecting her because he's dying and he wants to make sure she's okay for the rest of her life, but also protect who she really is. And that is what I think endears Harvey Keitel's character to Jake Giddies, who they're almost adversaries for most of this movie, when Jake Giddies realizes that he too was just trying to protect Catherine Mulray. And that's in a way what Jake Giddies has always wanted to do for the past 10 years pining over the death of her mother yes it's an amazing scene at the end maybe this is skipping ahead a lot but no no when they both have that really heart-to-heart scene and he's like patting him on the back you know and yeah harvey, harvey Keitel's crying i just really felt for that that was when the movie really sold itself to me where i was just like man this is a really good film <laughs> yeah it's so true they're both like lost in love like this is a movie where we see jake be a little more mature and he's he's still out for himself but his goal is to figure out what happened with to Catherine. It's just yeah. bothered him for the last 10 years. And there's that moment where he figures out that it is Catherine. They're at his house. It's dark. They do the foreshadowing from earlier in the film when the butler from the first movie. Yeah. When he talks to James Hong. Yes. Con con. And they talk about flowers and how this was Catherine's favorite flower. And then yep, yep. Kitty is wearing a necklace and it's a flower. And it's she starts to, to explain the flower. And Jake figures out that it's been her this whole time. And he gets this face like Jack Nicholson has so much nuance. And yeah, <laughs> he's just 
good and i yeah and it's a testament to robert robert town's writing in that a lot of times they never specifically say what they're talking about but you as the viewer get the idea anyways and i think that's a really powerful thing in his screenwriting and especially in his dialogue because they never really talk about her being her they never by name but you understand like holy shit that's her yeah she hasn't had a very good life you know he all he ever wanted to do all he ever wanted is what happened to her and is she okay and then he realizes that there's this guy harvey Keitel, that has actually taken care of her the whole time and really actually does love her and is looking out for her it's almost like he's he finally has a happy ending and that he realizes that she's okay it's true like he gets to be at peace it, does the movie go wrong there we get Robert Town, and we know Nicholson made some edits to the script, but... It seems like he actually made the ending, too. Nicholson actually did the ending. And so we get a happy ending, and we get narration over the movie, which yeah. is probably my least favorite part of this movie. Is I, too, long... thought it was a little heavy-handed, but then upon rewatching it, I was like... Uh, it's actually pretty good. I think I was able to... Sometimes it went on a little too long, and you little got t- lost in the symbolism. Yes. Or the analogies he was whipping out there. Very you know flowery. I mean? Yes. But once I was able to hear it again, then I was like, eh, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty clever. But it uh, helped. It helped to explain things to me. So we also had Madeline Stowe in this movie. Yeah, who plays the partner, the dead partner's wife. Yes. She's a handful. <laughs> She's so She's good crazy. in this movie. <laughs> you know, we we had a, I think it was our uh, color of money and this actually shares a lot of uh, similarities with Color of Money, I think. You know, just the fact that it's a new film, you know, about an old character from an old film, whatever, yes. you know, and getting on with her life. He's almost Paul Newman-ish, wiser and older, but still stuck in ways of, still stuck in the past. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Madeline, so we were talking about Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, that she was one of the Marys with three <laughs> names. And I was like, yeah, there's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, there's Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and then there's another one that I couldn't remember, but I was thinking Madeline Stowe. Now, she's obviously not a three-named Mary, but this is who I was thinking of, because I think I name-checked someone, and then was like, yeah, she was in 12 Monkeys, and I don't know what else I said, but uh, I love her in this. She's great in this, you know? She's... But she's fucking crazy in this movie. Like, she's so all over the place, and yeah. she, that... That I don't know scene, if I've ever, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen such an explicit sex scene that didn't have any sex. Yeah, I love uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, she's like just it's something about she's in denial, she's in grief, she's in whatever, I don't know, or she's on she's off or she's a little off for rock or most of the time anyways and it just like brings her out of it where she really attacks Jake Giddies. You know, and he's not going to turn her down. (laughs) Who's in so rough? (laughs) I know he. She is so rough, and he is into it, and he matches it, and he's so into it that he's just making her pose, and yeah. And then he grabs her. He's just like, "Look, I'm really trying to be a gentleman about this, but just get down on the floor, (laughs) stick your ass in the air, and don't move until I tell you." (laughs) And then he like takes a drink of water. Like I gotta just take a moment. I was—it's one of the, my favorite uh, sex scenes. If you can have those, just because it's just—it's just so unhinged. It's so enjoyable and just fucked up, man. It was very different, and yeah. um, I give Jack Nicholson props. 
not to take a step back and just talk about the movie overall again, but yeah. this is a movie made in 1990 that is trying to capture an aesthetic from 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this movie was a big bomb. It yeah. had a budget of $25 million. It made a total of $10 million. It was two hours and 20 minutes long. The consensus was that it was good, but it was kind of boring and long. You have to think about the movies coming out right then. We just had Die Hard be a big hit. I feel like he was hot off Batman, which is an enormous hit. Why wouldn't people show up to see the new Jack Nicholson film? I really don't understand. So I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like promotion. I feel like marketing failed this movie completely. Like maybe they didn't sell it. I showed you the trailer. I sent you the trailer. Like (laughs) if you don't know who Jake Giddies is, you don't know who the fuck it's Chinatown. I just like, why wouldn't they promote it? Like it was the Chinatown sequel. You didn't know anything about it being Chinatown unless you knew who Jake Giddies was. It's possible. This didn't do anything. This did. It just fell flat and very forgotten. And and I just feel like he did too good of a job of making a seventies movie in 1990 and yeah, I which is supposed to be a 40s movie so right jesus like you gotta give him props and i think it alienated viewers <laughs> that's my guess but that might knows? be it yeah but i mean i yeah i give him props just for pulling the project off i mean he wrote helped write it you know to completion he directed it he i mean he was everything the way the crew talks about what he did for that film everything in that project just to make it happen it was his passion project and they're like he didn't sleep he would like after a day's shooting, he would take uh, what they call dailies, you know, everything you shot in the day and then you review the dailies. So maybe it was like every morning before the shoot, he would go over to Robert Evans house who wasn't even on set. He was really just kind of a producer and name only. He made sure he was there for the first day and then was like, I don't need your help. Just stay away. He would take the dailies every morning and watch the dailies with Robert Evans every single day of the shoot. And he still pulled in a performance where he, I think, did justice to Jake Giddies 15 years later, the same way Paul Newman did with Fast Eddie, you know, in The Color of Money. Like, there's still these guys that come out and, and, and don't embarrass themselves by portraying the character that they're famous for. Yeah, he totally pulled it off. And this movie isn't just a retread. Like, the story they go with is compelling. Everything about it is good. It just follows the same arc of Chinatown where he's solving a mystery and the mystery Mm -hmm. is being unraveled in first person in front of us and so we get to learn at the same time jake does when you showed me the trailer i was and if you haven't seen the trailer audience you should go and look it up um because it's an original little piece written by jack nicholson and there's some scenes in there that were only in the trailer and not in the movie yeah, which, which is common. I mean, maybe they were deleted scenes from the film. I don't know. or But sometimes they actually shoot things just particularly for the trailer. But they make it clear in the trailer that Harvey Keitel is a killer. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that's a mystery. I mean, that's actually what drives the story. Like, he's the one that... Are you saying that they make it clear that why he killed the person or just that he did kill the person? That he... Like, because we don't know that Harvey Keitel is the... Is... Well, okay, yeah, that's Tristy. Because the it's, trailer it's makes you know... think he's a bad guy. Yeah. And for the first hour of the movie, we're trying to figure out who the bad guy is. And they let it... But you still uh, know that he did shoot the guy. Yeah. And he killed him. Like, that's obvious. And that's oh. another thing that is funny when you have to, like, be in that mindset. I think if you watch the movie nowadays, you're just like, well, why the fuck isn't he in jail? Like, what? 
this was going on. But that, again, in the 40s, like, this was just a different era. Like, there was no reason to believe this guy who just murdered somebody for sleeping with his wife was a threat to anybody. He can post bail. He can go back to work. We'll let the justice system take its course, and, you know, we'll get you to trial when we're ready to do this. But it was common for somebody in those situations. It was a, a moment of insanity. You found your wife with somebody. You killed the person she was with. That's a legal defense. I mean, people use insanity as a defense nowadays, but it was a popular thing back then. My issue with the film is that it's needlessly complicated because they kind of rely on the viewer to remember people's names and who those people are when they've really only been in maybe one scene. Yeah, And that's, that's a problem. That's definitely that, a That's thing. Is what confused me. It all connects and it all makes sense. It's a well-made film. But if you watch it once, you're just like, what? You lose track of the average looking uh, Jewish white guy. Yeah. Like there's the one mobster working with Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that was in Jake's office with the mask yep. on. And then Although he's um, like Hispanic. Huh? You know who he is? Who? Ruben Blades is the actor. No. Oh. We just saw him in another film that we covered on this podcast. He Did is we? the retired FBI agent and Robert Rodriguez is once upon a time in Mexico. Oh my God! It is (laughs) that Johnny Depp gets to come out of retirement, yeah, to help him catch a Willem Dafoe's Mexican drug lord. Wow! Yeah, isn't that awesome? Because I was watching the two Jakes, and I'm just like, he looks so familiar to me. I know I've seen him in other films. Wow, he did not seem Hispanic to me at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Like that's crazy to me. (laughs) He's Um, so scary in this film too. He's good. Yeah, he's great in this movie, but. Yeah. Was he the guy who was the step in between a Catherine and the Deeds? Because wasn't he his big, like, criminal backer? Yeah, he was He was Mickey Nice, is his name, and he was working with Jake Berman to help, I believe, help cover up the fact that she was Catherine Mulray. So she was able to sell the rights, the mineral rights of that area to Mickey Nice, on the same day at the same place, so then he could immediately sell it to Jake Berman, and therefore it would only show the person who had sold it to Jake Berman, and Catherine Mulray's name wouldn't be public. Right. I believe that's how it worked. It was one more step of them trying to hide who she was for her own safety or her own privacy. So it's like, yet again, he's a bad dude, and yet he's working with these people to try to do a nice thing, you know? It's very, it's very confusing. And the reason that she owned the mineral rights is because that comes from Noah Cross, her father, who owns all that property because of Chinatown. And there's another Noah Cross-ish type character played by Richard Farnsworth, Rawlings, who's an oil guy. So Chinatown, you got water and land. And then this movie, you have oil and subdivisions, I guess land yet again. But it's like um, they want to drill under the subdivision as well. And that's what the partner is working on, as you had explained earlier. But she owned the mineral rights to it. They they were trying to get in with her to get the rights to the land, so it would all be a legal thing. And yeah. And there's the suggestion that he only started banging Harvey Cattell's wife so that he could get information about Catherine out of her. Yeah. Yes. And even and so, Catherine's just thinks this guy's straight hot, and she's into it because Harvey Cattell's not plowing her. And this guy's just a horn dog, but he also wants info. That's why he's yeah. mentioning Catherine in bed after they yeah. messed around. And does he not know that it's her? I don't really know. No, he doesn't know. Yeah. 
that's interesting because his goal is to secure those mineral rights and he would have right this is so yeah. i hope people can follow what we're talking about if you've never seen this movie but it's <laughs> we are it's jumping convoluted. all over this place and you we will are, not appreciate are. this unless you have watched the two jakes so stop what suffice you're doing it to watch. say that jake has the wire recording of the murder but you won't give it to anybody. And the cops want it because they think that that'll prove that it was premeditated murder. And also uh, Madeline Stowe's character, the wife of the dead partner, also wants it because she believes that that will say that it was premeditated and then she would therefore get the money. But Jake Giddies can't give the wire recording to anybody because it would almost make him an accomplice to the murder. But if it was an act of passion and temporary insanity... He could still be sued civilly, you know, in a civil case by Madeline Stowe. So it's all bad for Jake. His actions is just he doesn't want to give the recording to anybody because he's just not sure how it's going to F him up. Yeah, nothing's so he good wants for to him. figure it out for himself. Yeah, nothing's good for him. So he wants to figure it out himself. So this is the movie we're on. This is the journey we're on. We're on or watching him work, trying to figure out you know how we can get out of this basically let's go to the end of the tape story just to close that yeah. out so what does jake end up doing he ends up lying and yeah. recording <laughs> a completely different tape with harvey Keitel, where they absolve harvey Keitel of the crime they make yep. it clear that there was insanity and that they just make it all completely inconclusive. Jake lies. Yeah. He's it's not again being ethical. Like, he's breaking his rule. He's crossing right. his line. But he's doing it for a reason. He's doing but it for a reason. But another thing, like, how the justice system in the 40s worked is that the judge listened to the tape. It was just like, there's nothing here that I would ever want to hear in a, in a trial. Nothing here that would convince me one way or the other in a trial. So all charges dropped. <laughs> yeah. He gets Harvey Keitel off. He's free and clear. Um, and that's basically still how it works. Like there's always a preliminary hearing where the yeah, right. cops show the judge their evidence and the judge decides if there's enough evidence to go to trial. But if somebody killed somebody nowadays, it's pretty much always a trial. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like they, they know he killed the guy. Like that's a proven fact. Oh yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. But now they won't even, charges are dropped because they just decided that it was an act of passion and temporary insanity. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> That's very interesting. They do a good job of going back to those periods. Jake figures out that Harvey Keitel's dying, and he said that it didn't make any difference if I told the truth or lied because he was going to be gone soon anyway. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that was important is figuring out what would work out best for Catherine. And yes. him not getting tried and him not being in the papers would keep Catherine's identity secret longer. He realized that this Chinatown incident that's always bothered him over these years um, and never really knowing what happened to Catherine or if she's okay, he realizes there's this other guy that has been protecting her and taking care of her on his behalf the whole time. And that made him finally have some closure to this whole story with Chinatown. The end of the movie is great. I love that moment 
Harvey Keitel's suicide. <laughs> yeah, right. That's another big thing. There's a couple. There's a lot of explosions in this movie. <laughs> Surprisingly, yes, Jack Nicholson gets <laughs> blown up. Um, Isn't that funny? So the subdivision is built on the orange grove that we see in the first movie, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm imagining that they folded pretty quickly after the first movie because yeah. the bad guy won. But yeah, uh, the first time Jake goes to the subdivision, um, they're talking about all this gas that's coming up from the ground and shaking the pipes. It's also getting kicked out because of all the drilling, I guess, that's going on illegally without their knowledge, right? There's a lot of that going on Yes, there's earthquakes going on in LA, and they suggest that it's because of illegal drilling for oil. And there's a rich oil tycoon who is secretly drilling sideways to get to the subdivision which has oil underneath it which is exactly so, what yeah, um, mr burns did in the simpsons episode when there was oil under springfield elementary <laughs> he just drilled sideways <laughs> and sucked it all up <laughs> so simpsons stole that from the two jakes i just want to throw that out there <laughs> which it very likely did and i love it it was a funny set piece because the drill is sideways like they show the drill on the ground and it's like the leaning tower of pisa like it's clearly like you know it was visually hilarious but that would have been only what five or six years after this movie came yeah. out so i could but see it was it. definitely after it but hey nobody watched the two jakes yes. right so i they probably have a perfect excuse for uh, not stealing it yeah so at the end there's all kinds of earthquakes you know that are happening throughout the movie and another one happens while they're all finally coming to these realizations at the end the house is filling with gas so he's just like once you guys get out of here i'll I'll be okay and he blows himself up that's just it so now she'll get everything she'll be protected for the rest of her life we're in the age where we demand an answer for every little thing and these movies were fine with saying there's some stuff you don't know because it's not relevant to the story but i really wish we knew why Catherine didn't have any of her dad's money yeah i don't know um, uh, Harvey Keitel talks about them almost being homeless for a point in the beginning of their relationship. And it's yeah, almost like she Catherine had the land. Yeah. Maybe she was just willed a little bit of his land, but she like ran away shortly after yeah, the movie and or something. It doesn't sound like those two were together for very long, but we don't know. Right. We don't know. And then she goes and speaks to, to uh Giddies at the very end. And yes. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it's just another trope. And that I didn't really need her to try to kiss him. It's another like damsel in distress, femme fatale kind of move, like an old noir thing where they're they're suffering through grief and trauma, uh, and they're what's the word I'm looking for? Looking for the comfort in the arms of a yeah, man. You know what I mean. So she tries to kiss him, and he's just like, no, no, no. If I'm going to kiss anybody, it's not going to be you. Like yeah. you mean too much to me. You're like my my, my daughter, and I'm not like your dad. <laughs> So <laughs> we're like, not going there. Yeah. That, um, but, you know, he has a good ending, you know, where he it's just a lot about the past, you know, like past you never forget. It, it never dies, but you just try to move on. And that's kind of what he tries to say at the end, I believe. Yeah, it has a great. Ending. I'm happy with the film because, it, it, you know, I mean, so what if it wasn't a success, but it doesn't insult the first movie. And what I like about the film is that it actually, you didn't even need an ending to Chinatown, but if you were going to have one, I thought it did a pretty good job. Like it closed all of his feelings, at least that were left open 
for Chinatown. So I'm disappointed we didn't get a third movie because I feel like it would have been fun to see his character continue for another movie. Super disappointed. This is a great character and a great way to tell a story. You could keep making these movies with him forever and they would have worked if they had followed that similar formula. Uh, I I wanted to talk. I mean, are there any scenes that stand out to you? I know the grenade scene is a good one. I like, um, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but the asshole cop, you know, there's, Escobar, he comes back. I don't know if we ever mentioned him, but Escobar's back in it. You know, kind of a friend, a little bit. There's also Eli Wallach, who's a great character actor. He's kind of a... I thought he was a DA, but I don't know why the DA would be representing the murderer, Jake Berman. So I guess he's just a... Is he the prosecuting attorney or is he just his lawyer? I wasn't really... I'm not sure sure about that. Anyway, but when he goes to the police station, he meets that asshole cop, the younger guy, remember? That is the son of the cop that shot the bullet that killed Evelyn Mulray. Did you pick up on that? I picked up on that, and it's just, yeah. it's only been 10 years. So it's years. like this, yeah, it's this little thing that's like, that's why he hates him. <laughs> One, because he's a dick, so he's easy to hate. He's got a punchable face. But secondly, his dad killed, you know, the love of his life, or whatever you want to say. But he has that a great was a great scene, scene, scene later. Too. Yeah. Just because he can be in a police station and punching out a cop, and he's respected it enough where yeah he's part of the team and he's not he people yeah we talked about how his profession is yeah. respected but he's definitely respected in the community ish right. you know what i'm trying to say yeah but uh, he you know the first time they meet is when he he gets a phone call you know giddy's gets the phone call at the station but the guy hangs it up because he's like this isn't your office this is the police station and then just <laughs> Eli Wallach comes in and is just like, answer the phone. And then he gets his phone call anyways, you know? So it's just like, a, I love that. Like the writing in that scene and the way that's put together. That's beautiful. But then later when he tells him to suck the end of the gun and he pisses his pants and stuff and he makes a fool of him in front of it. That's awesome. Oh, and a Tom Waits cameo. The musician Tom Waits. He's one of the cops in that scene where he pisses his pants. Really? He's that, yeah, he's, you know, he's got the deep voice. He's got, like, the orange suit on. He's he's the other cop interrogator in that scene. I did so not that's Tom Waits. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, the guy who plays Tim, or Ty Otley, who's the guy that works for Berman and kind of is friends with Giddies and helps him. He's the one that explains all the gas yeah. under, under the ground. Yeah. That's Bob from Batman. Remember the Joker's a number one, a guy. <laughs> but, yeah, that's Nicholson's friend. When he was making Batman, he was like, this is what I want. I want this much money. I want this much of the of the back end. And you got to put my friend in the movie, too. Because <laughs> they were just friends. So that's how he got to be Bob in the movie. And now he makes the two jigs right after Batman. So he hired him to be in this movie as well. So I thought that was pretty funny. That's awesome. That's the power of being Jack Nicholson. Um, <laughs> with you talking about these historical elements that you researched that I didn't know a lot about, like bursting into the hotel room and taking the recording yeah yeah uh the third movie as i'm sure you're aware was supposed to take place in 1956 when california introduced no fault divorce and it would have been interesting to see that story and have those details about how his job changed with the change what is do you are you familiar with that like what's no fault divorce it's just modern divorce where you could just be like all right i want to get married or divorced oh okay get divorced gotcha yeah yeah i didn't think into it 
beyond i didn't i never thought of why they would do that i just thought it was interesting that they did do it so i never looked into why they actually went to those lengths to like break in and take photos and stuff i'm assuming i didn't think about it being difficult but yeah that makes sense i'm assuming before then when you're married it was a legal contract and that was it yeah and now i know in california it's a 50 50 split on finances like there's no like that's just how it is no matter how long you've been married or anything that's why all these famous people when they get married and these rich people have prenups you know otherwise you're gonna split half right down the middle i think that's pretty much every place that's michigan is it yeah oh okay well it might be michigan too but i know that california was always famous for that because of all the rich celebrities that would get married for a year and then they'd have to give half their fortune to this person they only knew for like you know a year so maybe that was how it was in the 40s as well and that's why you did have to go to these lengths because it was it was more of a it was it was more of a battle to try to get you know to come out on top in a divorce so yeah but it never happened i don't know I mean, that doesn't make me want to see a movie necessarily. Oh, no fall divorce. Oh, great. But I'm sure they would have come up with some other exciting <laughs> ride I, for Giddies to be on. I had the date right. It was ni- wrong. It was 1968. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was also going to... And then, so the, the first movie was about water, and the second movie was about oil, and then this one was supposed to be about smog or air or I something. I was land. I understood. But the, the, I heard that too, but the, both movies were also about land. I know. You know? This all movie about is land. all about land. <laughs> Like all three of them would have be been, been, been about land, I guess. But there's it's land is the bedrock, and then the other thing that, that is, it's about water is the first movie. I had no idea L.A. was a desert before I watched these movies. Yeah. Well, but, I remember watching uh, Bugsy. That was another movie that came out around this time, too, with Warren Beatty. And that had a lot to do with it, too, where he, in Nevada, just built a casino out in this place called Vegas, which nobody would ever go to because it was just this freaking uh, desert. And then suddenly he was on the right path, though. He got it, He got the people to come out, and then it became the city it was today, and he made a fortune out of it. But yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with The Two Jakes? I don't think so. I think everybody should watch these movies in order. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do not watch the sequel before the original. I'm all. sure Jack Nicholson is not a perfect person, but I just, I love that guy. I don't know what it is. He's just like a great actor. I used to think he was pretty one-dimensional. Um, just seeing his older stuff, I just saw him as the Joker. I just saw him as that guy from As Good As It Gets. But when you start yeah. putting all of these other movies in there, like uh, his later work just gets better and better. It's amazing. I yeah. love the artwork for uh, the two Jakes too. I love the poster and the trailer, and I don't know. I was just very impressed with it. It's a very I, I mean the way he directed it and all the shot choices, and it's very interesting. And I'm gonna steal some of the editing techniques. So when you see one of my films in the future, you'll be like, "That was in the two Jakes." <laughs> I'd I'd be okay a with things you he did. With it. It's very nice. Yeah. So Aaron, uh, what are we gonna be covering the next time we meet? I don't know. You're always the one that tells me. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be covering Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That'll that's be a, a good, good mix go of the old and the new, again, just like these movies. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about that now. Have you ever seen the Psychos movies? I've only seen the first one. Okay. So we absolutely have to do the Psycho right, series. Let's do that. That'd be good. But every one of those movies starred, what's his name? Anthony Perkins? Perkins, yes. The plot is much more cohesive than you think it's going to be across yeah. these four movies. And I think you'll not necessarily like them, but appreciate them. 
Yeah, I'm excited for that. So yeah, yeah, I want to find other movies on a. It's it's easy for us to pick out things that are like franchisey and superheroish and stuff. So I was glad I thought of the two Jakes. I want to grab some other movies that are, you know, are in that caliber of films. It really interested me to dig a little deeper and explore some of the older sequels that are. You don't. They're not necessarily better, but. I'm just gonna say some of them are better, and there are some. And I like the idea that this is forgotten, really. Like nobody knows about it, so it's nice to kind of give it a little notoriety in our own little way. Yeah, it is. It's nice to highlight. Well, right. if you don't have anything else, um, I got nothing. This has been Aaron and Justin talk sequels. I'm Aaron. I'm just. Uh, wait, <laughs> wait, what? What? No, <laughs> I'm Justin. That's Aaron. I'm Aaron. And we really appreciate you listening. Uh, we hope you will uh, follow us on Twitter. Give us a review if your app supports reviews. But most importantly, we just appreciate you listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks.